Hi, this is Dr. Adrian. Welcome to Health Bite, the podcast where we explore all things health and wellness. Hi there. I'm so excited to invite you all back today to Health Bite, our podcast where we talk about all things food and the ways in which food nourishes our bodies as well as nourishes our lives. I'm so excited today to have a very special speaker by the name of Clemens Gossett. Clemens is the co-owner of the Gourmandie School here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, she has an eclectic background, having <laughs> been born in Paris and moving to the States at a young age. And Clemens has dabbled in a lot of things uh, prior to starting her uh, cooking school including a background in anthropology, in film. And so I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. I'm excited. So I'm really fascinated by the way in which um, people view food in their lives. I think about food both concretely as sustenance, right? But mm -hmm. also what food symbolizes for us um, as far as childhood memories, traditions, um, and I'm interested in kind of what that brings up for you. Oh my gosh, it brings up a lot. Food in my culture in France is like central to everything. And I think of sort of the intersection of food and culture a lot, but, but I try as often as possible in my life to also focus on how food um, affects our economy and our daily lives and all the choices that we make. So, um, so for me, like the cultural context of food is about emotion and about muscle memory and, um, and different tastes, of course. Um, and then in a bigger picture, like the, the culture of food where I'm from has everything to do with sort of your relationships with the people that you buy the food from and how they feed their families and how the soil around you is improved. So there's so many sort of facets to how I experience food, uh, like memory wise, because some of my favorite memories were going to my grandparents had a restaurant and, um, and we would go a couple times a week down to town to pick up our supplies and sort of the old man and, the mushrooms that he would forage and bring down that we'd pick up and uh and then the big box stores where we get like the big big packets of chocolate and uh <laughs> and all that stuff so so much of it has is even more than you know flipping pancakes with your mom and stuff so i i love this uh this discussion of food and memory because in so many ways food gets ingrained in our consciousness and there's actually data that shows that food gets ingrained in our DNA from what our, our parents are eat, our mothers eat when we're in utero and how that affects our genes. So it truly does become ingrained in part of our being. Um, talk to me a little bit about kind of the, the memory of food and, and how that informed your upbringing and, and how maybe you switched roles from what you were aspiring to do mm -hmm. and ultimately what you ended up doing with your life's work. That's a really great question. Uh, my memory of food is really a memory of doing because there was always food being prepared either um, for work or 
my dad cooked a lot. And so whenever anybody was home, we were physically cooking. And, uh, and it was so much more than about eating. And so, you know, I think when you grow up in a family that has ties to the food business, they tell you a lot and often not to get into the food business. And so um, I sort of thought I had a passion in film and social justice. And so I went to school and studied film and anthropology to create documentaries. Um, but I think I really missed like the physical muscle memory of creating food, that like really tangible act. Um, so when I graduated from college and ended up working in film and then working at Fox, I would sell cookies from my cubicle on Fridays. <laughs> I would take orders all week and then work through the night, Thursday night. And, and then I felt like connected again. And then I felt really tangible. And at that point I had, uh, he, I had a, my first son, he was about two and he was in the daycare a lot at Fox and he would come over to my desk, um, at lunchtime and he would say things, Oh, like, I think we got a little older. He was like, Oh, I'm going to go back to work so you can play on the computer. And the idea that work and earning income felt like this sort of very disconnected, intangible thing, I think is what lured me back into food. I wanted my kids to see me purchasing things, making something, selling it. And that's what we lived off of. Um, and so that the tangible muscle memory and the idea of, of something that felt like it could be followed and, and that work is really beautiful, especially when it's hands-on. And my son was at the daycare on the lot and I would bring him over to my desk at lunchtime and he would sit there with me and then, and he, he, he couldn't really imagine that I was working. It wasn't like a, he didn't get it. And so he would say, okay, I'm going to go back to childcare now and you can go play on the computer. And it just really made me sad that for him, like he couldn't really make the connection between like working, earning money. And so that the physical tangible part of cooking and earning a living was a big lore. The idea that he would go with me to the market and pick ingredients up and watch me cook them and then sell it. Um, that was really important to me. This sort of notion that you have a connection with your raw goods and you use your talent and your skills to turn that into some food and then you sell it felt like a better lesson and way to raise my kids than, than this disconnected world of like work for money. I love that. So I, I love the the way you bring up food and connection. I think about food and connection a lot and uh, almost universally when I talk to guests on this podcast, the concept of connection um, in conjunction with food comes up as well. So that's a really special marriage, I think. And I also love what you talk, uh, what you bring up about uh, social justice and and maybe activism in the act of eating and cooking. Um, yeah. I think those are really beautiful ideas. And can you speak a little bit about how concretely you bring those two concepts together in your work? Yeah, I, I bring the idea of social justice into my everyday cooking and at work. I think we don't have to do these grand gestures to become social activists. All the very small things that we do in life have a very big effect in our kind of capitalist economy. 
on sort of the, the greater community. So buying from a co-op rather than from a large Amazon-owned natural food store um, has a huge impact on the way this, the money circulates within your community. It has a big impact on the number of miles that food has traveled because you're working with a, with a grocer, for example, that um, is conscious of that and only purchase seasonally and locally. I think when you go to a very big store and you buy tomatoes at 10 cents a pound, you're putting a vote for a food system that's economically unsustainable. And that reverberates into the pay that the farmers are treated, into um, the debate about immigration and fairness, um, the debate about um, growing food that's uniform and good for you know, travel versus food that's appropriate for the season and more delicious. So it, I try as often as possible in purchasing decisions at the cooking school and in my daily life to make small purchasing decisions that create an economy that feels more sustainable and fair to people. And that brings up nourishing in a way that uh, tastes good. So food that is locally sourced and how that tastes very literally. And also food, how it nourishes you in regards to all the people who've touched that food, right? Kind of bringing that that in as well. I also um, I also wanted to speak a little bit about kids. So you're a mom, I'm a mom, and um, perhaps you have this same dilemma, even though this is my life's work talking about food <laughs> and nutrition. Um, you know, it's sometimes challenging to, um, to really foster that or cultivate that on a regular basis. So talk to me a little bit about do you do you have challenges at home or how do you manage kind of this health food um, versus society's push towards uh, junk food? Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely not perfect. We do the best we can. I have a couple of strategies at home that we've used since our kids were really little. And one of them is I don't buy it. I only buy ingredients. I don't buy um, like finished food in the house. But it doesn't mean that we don't go to In and Out. So if you want soda, if you want fries, if you want burgers, if you want pizza, I'm actually totally okay with that. We just don't eat that at home. So like we'll go out maybe a couple times a month and have something crazy. Um, but it's I don't buy like uh, taco seasoning for the house. We have our mix of spices and we blend them. And um, if we want tacos, like we have masa and we add hot water and we make tortillas, that kind of thing. So we try as often as possible to save money because I have three kids and they eat a lot. So I do that by just 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 buying raw goods and knowing that I'll have to spend an extra 10 to 15 minutes a day on food preparation. Um, and then I don't ban party food or junk food because it's not possible. It's, uh, and I don't want to create resentment. And, um, and you know what? Sometimes a burger's really great and delicious. So, um, so I try to make that like a fun thing that we get to enjoy rather than an everyday. And I think this concept of balance and 
is super important. And um, again, this concept I like to talk about of, of living in the gray because mm-hmm. sometimes it's easier to be at extremes and that's not sustainable. Um, no. And so I, I, I like the, the way in which you do it, uh, maybe home pantry versus outings as a way to differentiate the two. Yeah. And so along those lines, um, you come from a background as a pastry chef, mm-hmm. and uh, pastry is decadence, right? And and butter. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so I wonder how you reconcile, um, you know, food as, uh, you know, something indulgent, and, and food as health, because sometimes those things are kind of uh, not in concert. I think it depends on what your definition of health is. So for me, the definition of health is using really high quality raw goods to make something that's so delicious that, um, that I feel really satiated after having a little bit. So um, when I'm baking, I'll use grass-fed butter from Strauss. Like it's really rich and it works so well and it's got a lot of flavor and I know that the cows are super happy and like I actually never have guilt around eating sweets and um because it makes me happy (laughs) (laughs) um and so I have like this other baseline for happiness which is that like um I come from a country that has this uh huge premium on thinness and um, and it's taken me a long time to accept that like that doesn't have to be my baseline, um, and so for me, health means um, doing really well throughout the day, nourishing your body with foods that taste really good, that are really bright, that um, that are made from the simplest techniques and sourcing, uh, and eating plenty of fruits and vegetables. And I think everybody's DNA is so different, right? Like where I'm from, I think like eating a lot of butter is fairly normal um, and a lot of meats, but I just listen to my body. I don't eat a lot of meat because it makes me super sleepy. Like I have a really hard time um, digesting a lot of meat. So I eat more legumes and vegetables, um, but that's not the same for everyone. So I, I try to do as good as possible. I bake a lot uh, and I, my vice is chocolate. I eat a lot of chocolate, probably more than I should. But I also know that I'm eating really healthy foods the rest of the time, mostly. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love chocolate? There are there's so a much. small, small segment of the population. And I don't know if we should be jealous or envious of them or feel sorry for them. But Not. <laughs> for the rest of us, for the rest of us, we love chocolate. So you bring up your, your background again and kind of cultural differences, not only in, in body type, but, um, you know, cultural differences in food. And can you speak to that a little bit, how maybe your, your background uh, in Europe informed your, your cooking style and your eating style and, and how, uh, you know, what, what you bring here, the, the benefits from that kind of culture that you bring here into your work and into your uh, even child rearing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I, I, and I've only started thinking about this in the last few years, but I, re, I mean, I just remember my parents always cooking from scratch. Like, and it's not, 
And I know for somebody who hasn't, and that's probably why I have this business, this cooking school, for a lot of people that um, is not their experience of watching like the having it be completely normal to roast eggplants twice a week and to make your own yogurt and to can your vegetables and fruits. Um, and so me cooking in the style that I do at home in this like really simple way that uses a lot of raw goods um, is just simply something that's easy for me to access because it's something I grew up seeing and smelling and tasting. Um, and and so it's, it's simple. I think we all do things that we've seen before. My parents were entrepreneurs. Not hard for me to be an entrepreneur. My dad made jam three times a year. I put up jam three times a year. And so it doesn't feel like this hard stretch of the imagination. Um, and I think that's how, um, that's how it's woven into my current child rearing and the way that I nourish myself and the food choices that I make. Um, my family comes from two very different parts of France. One is like closer to Paris, a lot more meats. And, and in the South of France, you'll find a lot more legumes and vegetables. And, um, and I feel like I, I tend to pull more from the Southern part of it when I'm cooking the vegetables, the legumes, the, um, the more Mediterranean flavors. And the culture of cooking, I think, is, is not unique to, to Europe, but it's a shift that is a, it's a, it's a shift in, in the times, right? Because as we have moved towards what is quick and expedient and our lives have become more about juggling and multitasking, that concept of cooking, which is also the way I grew up, despite having a working mom, and what I try and incorporate, uh, not only for the health of my family, but also because I find that it's a, it's kind of a mindfulness practice for me. It's a calming practice where I can really be in my work, uh, and and not multitask in those moments that I'm cooking. Yeah. But I have to admit that I struggle, and I know that a lot of my um, patients that I speak with also struggle because the reality is the reality. We're busy. Yeah. And, and it's hard to do that in this kind of lifestyle. So do you have any suggestions or tips of how to incorporate that kind of slow process of cooking in our expedient lifestyles? Yeah, I would love to hear. So I try at least one day a week to cook my starches and legumes. So beans, like garbanzo beans, rice, pastas, and then I put it all in the refrigerator. And when I get home at night, I'll cook like the vegetables and proteins and toss them in. And I try to always have a good balance of fats and acids. So there's always lemons and limes in my fridge. I have a lime tree outside, which makes it a little easier. Um, and there's always something a little bit like warm, spicy, and there's always yogurt. So that if mm. I need to take rice and, um, and make poached egg bowls, I'll, have, I'll just add some greens, make a little salsa verde on Sundays. It takes four minutes in the food processor, a few capers, some parsley, um, a little bit of olive oil. And that way I can throw that in and then maybe use the rice to make tacos another day. And I try to have that base already made so that dinner takes like 20 to 30 minutes max and I'm not babysitting it. The oven is my favorite tool 
So roasting vegetables is something we do almost every night. I literally set the oven to 400 degrees. I'll chop up my vegetables as much as I can or have one of the kids do it, pop it in the oven and then do other things, come back to it and then toss it with whatever beans, starch, or I do, uh, I cook a protein once a week. So it's either a roasted chicken that we'll just kind of tear off the bone throughout the week or make soup with, um, or I'll make a roast of some kind. Yeah, and preparation is important. So it's it's not a matter of spending no time because everything yeah. worthwhile requires some time, right? Every mm-hmm. relationship requires time. Why should our relationship with food be any different? But in doing it in the way that you describe in a preparatory fashion, it limits that pressure in yeah. the moment, right? Of getting it done, you know, totally. for dinner during, never... during a work day. Yeah, I almost never make dinner from start to finish at night. There's always something I'm grabbing from the fridge that I took care of like a couple days before because um, we get home late. We get home at like 6 o'clock, and I got to get the youngest one in bed by 7.30. And, right, um, right. And, 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 in bringing, and in bringing your children into that process, uh, you know, we're all struggling to find ways in which we can – uh, interact. Uh, I know you have children across the age spectrum, as do I. And so how do you bring all those different minds uh, together? And, and this is a, a beautiful way of doing that, right? Yeah, just with a couple age-appropriate tools. So before age six or seven, a box grater is a great way to get a young kid to like great stuff, like great carrots, great beets, uh, potatoes to make lackeys, whatever it is. A box grater is awesome. And then we have this cute little um, safe knife that the eight-year-old uses now. And then my older ones are like 17 and 21. So <laughs> they get doing... the, good, the good goods, <laughs> yeah. the real knives. Yeah. And it takes them like five minutes. Just like cut something up, toss it with olive oil, throw it in the oven or in the cast iron pan, and then, then we'll mix it with whatever we've got. Yeah, I love that. So my, my take-home points is a, is a box grater and yogurt in the fridge. That's <laughs> yeah. not something that I do regularly. I mix yogurt with like cumin, cilantro, um, a little bit of lime juice. Uh, I do that at least once a week, and I like to have it with almost everything. It's delicious. And it's a good way to bring in your spices too, which all yeah. have various uh, sundry of health benefits. Absolutely. So I know, you know, one of the things that I love in my work is that um, I come into contact with so many different people and have the um, honor, really, of speaking and, and knowing so many different kinds of people from different walks of life. And I, and I know the same is for you and your work. I've taken your cooking classes, and uh, we are an eclectic bunch in that room. So I wonder, um, I wonder if you have any stories that you can share. Is there a story you can share of one of your clients or uh, somebody who's taking a class and and the way in which um, learning your techniques and tools has kind of augmented um, their living uh, through food? Oh my gosh, that's a great question that I don't know if I have the answer to. Let me think about this. I I definitely get um, students who come back and say, oh my gosh, you've sort of changed the way that I cook and I'm saving so much money and I didn't think I would. We lead free tours of the Santa Monica Farmer's Market and I teach people how to walk the market and and save money versus going to a grocery store. So those are the little things that I hear the most is we have this idea that we have to change like 120% and, you know, we got to completely go to the other extreme. 
But if you just like a couple times a week switch from like pre-made rotisserie chicken and like store-bought pita bread to making something that you bought locally and that you've cooked at home, like that makes a huge difference and impact, not just on your health, but on the way that you can interact with your family and on your community's sort of economic um, sustainability. So it's those little things. One thing that we're really clear at the school with all of our instructors is like we teach what we believe with zero judgment because we've all been there. Like we all do the best we can with whatever, with wherever we're at. Right. And not everybody has access to the same um, resources as everybody else. So um, we try to say like, this is best practice. Like, let's talk about the best way that you can do this at home. Is it to buy this pre-made and then add fresh herbs? Um, so I think the process of teaching and giving the best advice we can, and then working backwards and finding out like what the best solution is for that family or that person to cook at home, um, is, is what I really enjoy. I hate the preachiness of, um, trying to be like the most sustainable person ever, the healthiest person ever, because you'll right. always let yourself down. Right. right. It's just Absolutely. And I love, and I love that point. And, um, what a great place to end, uh, which is really meeting yourself where you're at, right? Yeah. Because it is in that place of non-judgment that we can really allow ourselves to, to grow. And so many, so many beautiful concepts that came up in our conversation today. This was so lovely talking about how you can use food as a way of uh, activism and social justice, as a way of creating a relationship and strengthening relationship with your children and family and how you can use food to really nourish yourself deeply. Um, all ideas that I love to ponder. So this was a really lovely conversation and I'm so yeah, glad that you. you that you spent this time with us. And to all the people out there who are living or visiting the LA area, I can say firsthand that your classes at Gourmandise LA are phenomenal and such a great experience. So I encourage um, people to check it out. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Adrian. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. 